I coughed. Did I yawn too? Oh. Politics is exhausting. <laughs> he sounds so much more. Standard. I'm Danny Madrone. I'm Emmett O'Connell. This podcast is a calm, reasoned conversation about local issues in Olympia, Washington. Calm and reasoned. Yeah. Calm. Okay. Welcome to the Olympia Standard. We will be doing our final coverage of elections this evening. Uh, today is Thursday, so uh, this is after the Tuesday election on November 6th. And so we don't have the final numbers, but we think we've got a pretty good idea of what happened on election day. Last night, we made a, a guest appearance on Oli Talks, which is another um, podcast about civics in Olympia that's uh, produced by Jim Cooper and Emma Margraff. And that was a pretty fun experience. It was, yeah. Uh, we did our initial first reactions to uh, what happened in elections, not just here locally, but across the state and nationally. Yeah, that was a pretty fun experience. I mean, especially get the chance to like pull out a little bit more and lift our heads above from like the hyper-local. Yep. So yeah, go over to Oli Talks and find that episode. You can get a little bit of a preview of what we're going to talk about today. And you can find that at olitalks.com. Today, we're really going to get into the into the nuts and bolts of uh, Olympia and Thurston County elections. Uh, we're going to start off by talking about what happened with the statewide initiatives here in Thurston County. And starting with 1631, this is the one on the carbon fee, which failed uh, across the state. Mm -hmm. And it failed in Thurston County with about the same number locally. Uh, and these are numbers uh, uh, as of uh, late Wednesday night. But locally, uh, we were at 55.61% saying no to a carbon fee, and statewide it was 55.97. So uh, that what we did here locally in Thurston County was reflective of what the sentiment was across the state. What do you take from this? Is this Thurston County as bellwether? Is this sort of, did we end up having the same result but for different reasons statewide? It seems like to me like this is the second or third bite at the apple for a carbon fee in Washington state and a lot of the fundamental problems of getting this one over the finish line haven't been resolved. There was a lot of um, crosstalk and among the community that would probably support it. I mean, people finding reasons like perfect as the enemy, the good sort of reasons to oppose it. I mean, what do you think? Yes. And I think we're going to have to have some bigger conversations in Thurston County to really get wrap our heads around it. I think uh, whenever you uh, put a fee on something that is tied to ev people's everyday lives, um, it, it is regressive. Uh, so it's going to impact poor people the most. Uh, I know there was an argument that uh, the, uh, the revenue from this would go to help uh, lower income communities. But when you have projects that are going to help certain communities, you're not going to help all low income people. So I know there were some people who were concerned about the impact on people who have to drive farther to get to work. We talked about this uh, 
a uh, few episodes ago. Oh, no, wait. It was just last episode, wasn't it? It was. Oh, yeah. The battle episode. <laughs> it seemed. <laughs> Things are tracking a little bit, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice to have election season be over with. <laughs> Uh, so last episode, we talked about that a little bit. Um, so I know people who were concerned about the impact on people who are less likely to pay for the carbon they use. Um, I also have heard concerns from people about um, the fact that this carbon fee uh, is was set to ratchet up year after year after year until the state met greenhouse gas goals using a plan that's not yet developed. And um, the state doesn't have the best track record of environmental recovery planning and implementation. So there was this lack of trust with the state being able to do it. Of course, these are all um, th that that's an issue that could have been resolved by the legislator later on. Uh, if they saw that the fee was getting too high, um, they could have pulled it back in. But there were people who are uncomfortable voting for it just yeah. for that reason alone. Yeah, none of these arguments are like people who are fundamentally opposed to. Uh, putting a price on carbon or who don't feel that climate change is an issue. These are all things that come from a perspective like, I know, I know this is an issue. I know we need to address it, but this isn't the solution. Yeah. Um, and again, um, uh, perfect being the enemy of uh, good enough. Um, some people didn't think it was good enough. Right. Uh, and of course, then, you know, I'm sure we do have some people in uh, areas of the county that also just don't believe in climate change, but I don't think that they put this one over the top or... Under, under the, the bottom. bottom. <laughs> <laughs> another another thing to no note anyway. about this campaign was the amount of money behind it. Um, so uh, the those supporting this initiative, you know, the highest donor was the Nature Conservancy, and then there were other um, uh, environmental organizations, and then some very wealthy people putting fifteen point one million dollars into supporting this, but opposing it was $31.6 million, mostly coming from the oil industry. I keep hearing uh, big oil. I, I don't know oil. That's not big. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, money was a huge factor in this. You know, just looking at my mailbox, I got three uh, – actually, my friend whose cat I was watching and mail I was getting, she got three no on 1631 flyers and one yes on 1631. Uh, so – yeah, you can sow a lot of seeds of doubt with $31 million. Yep. Uh, moving on to 1634, this was the Affordable Grocery Initiative, uh, also known as the Anti-Soda Tax Initiative. Uh, that one passed, and it passed in the state by, uh, as of last night, uh, uh, Wednesday evening, 54.82%, and in Thurston County, 54.3%. So again, we've got a lot of, you know, what happened in Thurston County was reflective of what happened uh, across the state. Um, and this one, I think it really comes down to how it was framed. Like, if you are not somebody who dives into the issues, and you see something on your ballot that's asking you to support affordable groceries, I mean, the moral option is yes, we want food to be affordable for people. And how much money was behind the groups trying to create a counter message to that? So, um, so the, the, well, the, those, those supporting this initiative, uh, also probably the ones who put it forward, um, uh, $22.1 million, most of it coming from the soda industry. <laughs> big soda, not small soda like Jones soda, but big, big soda. Big soda, yeah. Um, <laughs> Not your local um, ta uh, root beer tap, but uh, <laughs> but those 
fighting this initiative, they only raised $33,000. There was not organized opposition. I don't know um, if if there was just not enough uh, interest or notice or, or what, um, but there, there wasn't really an organized opposition against this, or at least not a powerful one. I'm wondering if this theme will play out that the, when we go down, we keep on going down the list, that the, the side with the most money was able to pull their side across the finish line. Yeah, well, um, 1639, this was the gun reform initiative, which passed um, across the state at 16.63% as of uh, Wednesday evening. Um, I was actually a bit surprised by how well this one did, uh, but it actually did slightly less better in Thurston County at 57.82%. So, um, and as far as funding goes for that, uh, I'm sure uh, if you've traveled in any rural areas, you probably would have seen the uh, anti-1639 uh, yard sign saying that this was uh, funded by billionaires, and it absolutely was. Um, $5.5 million supporting this initiative, and only $736,000 uh, opposing it. So again, the big money was on the side that the one, that won. And it's not like the gun lobby, or big gun, I guess as you would call them, um, have abstained from um, anti-gun initiatives like this, but they did seem to not dive in this year. Yeah, well, the well, the only the only uh, the 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 political action committee, the PAC, uh, did have National Rifle Association in the title, mm-hmm. but they only gave two hundred thousand dollars, at least directly. I don't know if it was money was funneled somehow. I didn't have the patience to track that through the PDC. Um, so NRA did bite a little bit, but probably saw it wasn't the best place to invest their. Uh, their uh, political dollars. I will say to the no um, campaign's credit, at least here in Thurston County, I saw what I consider to be an inordinate number of no on 1639 signs in places where I didn't think there would be, like around Lacey and Olympia, were places where I didn't think there'd be a lot of like pro-gun lobby work. Yeah. Are, are you thinking of um, like signs in public spaces signs in public spaces and signs in yards too oh, okay. there was okay. obviously people in olympia who had yards had a supply of yard signs and were contacting their friends and getting them no on 1639 signs so whereas there's always you can spend a lot of money to support something you can also spend a lot of human capital on something and if there wasn't money in thurston county being being pushed around there at least was people going around with signs trying to get trying to bring down the support for this. Yep. Um, And so 1639, the gun reform initiative, uh, that is one to watch in terms of implementation to see how how that shakes out for Washington. And then the the final uh, statewide initiative um, on the ballot was I-940. That was around police use of force. And that had a huge victory as as well, 59.77% across the state, slightly less in Thurston County at 57.71. And again, this is the same theme with the other three initiatives. The big money was behind supporting this one, $3.2 million, um, with the the opposition at $285,000. I think one of the one of the points we made earlier about this initiative is that you know perfect being the enemy of the good and that this initiative had a um, an interesting backstory. The, there have been legislators that have already come forward and said that they are going to that they are going to modify this initiative as soon as it, as soon as the legislature opens in January. Um, but more of the backstory on that was that when this initiative came forward to the legislature, they saw the need for a compromise. They developed a compromise that the proponents of the initiative agreed with. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and then they botched the process, and then we got the non-compromise on the ballot as a result. But the legislature already knew they have the political cover to go in and immediately change this one to correct uh, some of the things that law enforcement were um, were concerned about. One of them being uh, the first aid requirement, the the, right. the requirement to uh, to uh, to give first aid uh, without any kind of stipulations as to the safety of the officer, the safety of other people or other things going on in the crime scene that might make it not the best decision. So I, uh, I, I believe the legislature is already moving forward with uh, changing this initiative and adopting the compromise, but seeing the support from it uh, across the state um, and then knowing that the proponents support the compromise, it's, it's very safe for them to do that. Yeah. This is then definitely one of those examples of pushing for what you might consider to be an imperfect initiative, knowing that policy can be perfected some other in some other avenue. And from here, we're just going to go down through the election results. Uh, we're going to be skipping over, uh, we'll, we'll touch on them briefly, but we'll skip over some of the, the more obvious results or the irrelevant ones, like the advisory vote, number 19. Um, I wonder, I'm kind of wondering if there wasn't just an anti-tax sentiment in general. This one was... Uh, voted to be repealed, but of course it's an advisory vote, so it is just a poll. Uh, it gives the legislature information, um, so uh, it doesn't actually do anything. Uh, the next one, the federal race, uh, Maria Cantwell won. Uh, that was not surprising. And then the congressional race, Denny Heck won. Not surprising. Of course, this is the congressional race for um, District 10, which is where Olympia is. And then in the uh, um, state legislative races in um, our in the Olympia District, District Legislative District 22, both uh, Beth Dolio and Lori Dolan won very handily over their uh, libertarian and independent uh, opponents. I, I have to say real quick, I never ever hear the word handily until an election happens. Yeah, things and are then I hear it over and over and over again. Yeah, how thing, handily only, somebody won? Only, only, <laughs> You can only do something handily if you're at the, if you're winning at the ballot box. I guess so. <laughs> I will I will say that I wish I I wish I could look it up real quick, but I will say that Beth Dolio wrote on her Facebook page on election day something very nice and um, to her opponent Alan Acosta, saying how much she appreciated him and how it was a pleasure doing the campaign trail with him. And I it just struck me as something like in this election where we actually you and I have been up close with some negative campaigning and negative personalities that it was really neat to see Beth, who I think we both can be honest and say we both think Beth is great, yep. but that uh, um, but there was just a, such a nice sentiment at the end of it. Well, and it's refreshing, too, for somebody like bef it was before the results of the election, right? Mm -hmm. To say, hey, I appreciate my opponent. And yeah. and I think Alan Acosta even uh, responded saying, let's play blackjack again sometime, Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> I think <laughs> so, he copped to being a bad blackjack player. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was refreshing yeah. uh, to see that, um, especially in this day and age where uh, there's a lot of nastiness going on. Yeah, and I think I made a point that I need. I, I think you wanted me expand, mean to expand on um, about uh, su the Susan Hutchinson's uh, campaign in particular, and why it was important. Susan Hutchinson, uh, who ran against Who's, Maria Cantwell, yeah, who ran Senate. against Maria Cantwell for the Senate, and it was important for the uh, um, and why it was important for her to have been on the ballot, even in what a lot of people considered to be a blue wave election this time around. But it's in a very blue state. In a very blue state, but it's also because. Even though we're a very blue state, there are there are legislative districts and counties where um, uh, Republicans are in tight races, where they 
do have the potential to win even during even during a blue election. Then having a Republican, a viable Republican like Susan Hutchinson on the top of the ballot that would all attract voters and won't and won't turn them off is a reason for people to open up their ballot, vote Republican at the top of the ballot, and then as they're going down, with something like ballot fatigue exists, and people will stop filling out their ballots as they go down. But hopefully, some a lot of those a lot of those voters reach these partisan elect partisan races lower in the ballot. So it's a way of like yeah, kind of ho- hopefully from the Republicans' perspective. Yeah, from say, yeah right? from their point of view. <laughs> <laughs> But this was definitely, but this was definitely a year in these races with Hutchinson and Brumbles and uh, um, Alan Acosta and C. Davis. This was not the this is not the um, conservative side's A squad. This yeah. is not this is not something that they were they were that they thought they were going to be able to steal a couple of seats here. Well, and neither of them identified as a Republican oh, either. Yeah. One one was Libertarian, one was Independent. Yeah. Um, and now moving into the county races, um, of course, we had a lot of uncontested ones here. Uh, but the first one we see here is for Assessor, Stephen Drew. He wins the prize for most right-in candidates against him at 3,639. Um, to be fair, he was the first... Um, he, he, he is the first one on the ballot that is uncontested, so maybe people just ran out of creativity as they went down. But um, You can only say Mickey Mouse once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yep, uh, Stephen had the, the most uh, writing candidates against him. Um, and we'll get into a, a more about writing candidates uh, a little bit further on down the ballot. Uh, and then uh, the, the, the first contested race for the county is uh, the auditor, uh, Mary Hall won handily. Um, she, uh, as of uh, Thursday after election night, she's at 60.77%. At the primary, she was at 67.55%. So uh, there was a little bit of a dip, and I don't know if that just means less uh, people who are following more closely voting in the primary. Um, I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, it just didn't seem like it, there didn't seem like it would be much happening in this race after um after the primary, after yep. uh, after Labor Day, it seemed like I was ready for there to be an open a debate opening up, but they never seemed to get off first base. I mean, uh, Stuart Holmes. Well, St- Stuart Holmes wasn't driving forward any debatable points. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, um, he, what he was talking about was you know at times erroneous, um, at times um, something that Mary's working on. Um, it, there just wasn't a solid debate to be had yeah Yeah, he never chose a an actual lane to be in yeah and in the you know look just looking at the money raised for this race he wasn't competitive there either mary hall raised forty five thousand um compared to twelve thousand from stuart holmes so congratulations mary and then the next uncontested race linda enlow um was uncontested she'll be your county clerk Yep, and she she wins second for uh, most write-in votes at two thousand nine hundred fifty-four. I'm getting a theme here. That's like further you go down, the worse they do in in write-ins. Oh, uh, it's it changes. changes don't give a away this. Of- don't give it away. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next contested race was uh, um, the county commissioner race. It was Bud Blake uh, versus Ty Menser. At recording um, on Thursday, uh, Ty Menser is maintaining his lead. Last night, he had a 1,200-vote lead, and that has narrowed tonight to just a, oh, just under 800. He's at 50.38%, and Bud Blake is at 49.62%. I feel comfortable at this point calling it for um, Ty, 
Yep. Ty is probably not comfortable doing no. that. Um, I, but uh, there's uh, how many? There is 9,000 ballots left to count. Um, I'm not sure the math behind how many uh, Bud would have to get, but it would, it's definitely, he'd have to get over 50% of the remaining ballots, over 50-something percent. Yeah, last so, night it was about 54% of the remaining ballots. Yeah, so he closed the gap a little bit. This is a gap that has closed and then opened and then closed again. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's a little bit of a nail-biter for a lot of people who are watching this one. As of tonight, they've counted 114,000 ballots. And there is 104,000 ballots in this race that have been counted. And last, um, in 2006 or 2016, there were 108,000 ballots cast in uh, cast in the statewide in the in the countywide uh, commissioners races. So I don't think there's that many outstanding out ballots still out there that are yet to be you get to be accounted for. Yep. Um, and there is some interesting uh, talk about money in this race. So um, overall, uh, Ty Menser raised 77000 compared to Bud Blake's 96000 mm-hmm. So Bud did out-fundraise uh, Ty. Um, but there's also this interesting in, uh, independent expenditure uh, issue uh, or uh, theme mm-hmm. going on in this commissioner race where um, – uh, there was an independent expenditure against Ty. This is the Glenn Morgan flyer. If you haven't heard of it, it is the it's the mailer. I keep saying flyer. It's the mailer that went out against Ty Menser. It's the one that said he wasn't progressive enough, so you should write in EJ Zeta. That was an eight thousand. That was eight thousand dollars spent against Ty Menser uh, that we uh, know came from the Thurston County Republicans. And then we see an independent e- expenditure in favor of Bud Blake, uh, up to $63,000. Um, so these are, the, these are um, external groups that formed a political action committee and uh, gave money to support Bud Blake's campaign. Um, and most of that came from the Washington Realtors. Mm-hmm. A small amount of that came from the uh, Olympia Master Builders. Uh, and so that what that probably paid for was a lot. Uh, there were a lot of mailers that went out for Bud Blake's campaign, a lot of different kinds of mailers that went out. Um, and I also want to add the caveat here that neither of the candidates are involved in, in the political action committee spending or these independent expenditures. Um, well, and Bud Blake actually spoke out against the, uh, the real progressives. Um, the, the Glenn Morgan mailer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so not only did Bud raise more money than Ty did by about twenty thousand dollars, but Ty had eight thousand dollars working against him from the Republicans, and um, Bud Blake had um, sixty three thousand dollars working for him from the Washington Realtors and the Olympia Master Builders. But yeah, so. he's leading on. Third day after third day after election day. Yeah, so this is the one where um, I think people are probably paying the most ac- attention, and maybe mailers are not having as big of an impact as they did for, say, statewide initiatives. So, what do you think the uh, um, the impact of that writing that that fake writing campaign was? There were six hundred and eight write-in votes for Thurston County Commissioner as of Wednesday night. So, I don't think it had a big impact. I think. Um, if Glenn Morgan's strategy was actually to get people to write in against Time Enser, his strategy failed. But I also kind of wonder, uh, and we talked about this on the Oldie Talks podcast a little bit, if he didn't have a more uh, uh, an alternative agenda of causing more uh, causing fracturing and division amongst the left. 
Um, and as I said on Oli Talks uh, last night, um, the best way to uh, to come up against that is to work really hard to build up the left and create some unity and uh, get some good, strong leadership that can bring people together. No, exactly. I think to give some perspective on how badly, if it was an actual writing campaign and not a um, fracturing campaign, there were 499 write-ins in the uh, auditor's race, and there were 2,400 write-ins in the prosecuting attorney's race. There were only 600 write-ins in the county commission race. I don't see that flyer having any impact at all. It's more like the write-ins seem to reflect a voter's inability to find somebody on the ballot that they like, being these these two of these races having independent and no Republican, and one of these races having two Democrats and no Republican. Yep. And now, if you've been waiting on this podcast for me to describe on um, on an audio format what I can see visually on a map, now is now is the time for you to turn up your podcast machine. So I'm going to describe quickly what I see in the what I see in the map in terms of uh, um, how Ty Menser is holding off uh, Bud Lake. Right now, I've um, so the map in general has the normal feature of a Thurston County election where the more liberal districts inside Olympia are tied at best and then slowly receding out as you approach the uh, um, approach the south and the east of the county. What seems to be the nuance here is that Bud Blake and Gary Edwards and um, and Hutch, the other independent uh, county commissioners, do really well in these sort of like nearby Lacey precincts, but Ty was able to improve on improve on how Democrats have done there in recent years. It's also interesting that if you take the four peninsulas that sort of jut out into Puget Sound from, uh, um, from Thurston County, like Johnson Point, Steamboat Island, and then the other two on the right-hand side, there's a lot of precincts that went for uh, Bud Blake four years ago and went for Gary Edwards and Hutch, uh, John Hutchings two years ago. And a lot of those precincts uh, flipped over to Ty. So that was a particular piece of geography that he did really well in. Yeah. So, um, you know, I this race is not yet conceded as of Thursday night. It probably will be by the time this episode comes out on Monday. Uh, but uh, it's looking better for Ty than it is for Bud Blake at this point in time. So moving down the ballot, uh, Gary Warnock is going to continue to bring your Thurston County coroner. Yep, and uh, the write-in campaign against him. Uh, he had uh, two thousand four hundred and fifty-four write-ins against him. So he finished. <laughs> so he finished. This. He finished third in the race. Uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> oh, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, but we'll get into. Oh, that. right. I see now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but then after uh, after uh, corner, we have the prosecuting attorney race. So this was uh, John Tunheim and Victor Minjares. Uh John Tunheim has won that race as of. Uh, Thursday evening, he's at 53.86%. He did get 58.13% in the primary, so he he had um, had better support in the primary than he did in the uh, general. Do you think that's also a matter of uh, Minjares ramping up his campaign after the primary? Knowing that the primary in this case is just a beauty contest at having two only two candidates, it really doesn't mean anything, and why spend your time chasing votes when it's really the general that matters. Well, it's um that could be it. Um I think it's it, I think it's fairly interesting cuz in the auditor race we do see um 
the more progressive candidate there being Mary Hall. Uh, we see that she did 67% in the primary and then dropped down to 60. And then in the prosecutor race, I think a lot of people would look at Minjares as being the more progressive uh, uh, candidate in the race. Um, and he actually did better in the general compared to the primary. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's like they're going to tighten no matter what. Like pe- people become more engaged. They start maybe studying the candidates better and then they don't and they take a second look at somebody. Yep. Um, and then in terms of uh, just the financials of this race, uh, Thunheim did win, uh, raise $38,000 compared to 23000 for Minjares. And in terms of the geography of this race, it again follows the basic structure for Thurston County. Uh, Victor Minjares won a lot of the inside precincts, inside Olympia, but then as you spread out, it even quickly, more quickly becomes uh, John Thunheim's territory except there's a lot of uh, um, jumping around. You'll have neighboring precincts going for one and then another neighboring precinct going for the other. And you'll have suddenly strong precincts for one um, candidate next to suddenly strong precincts for the other candidate. There's some, And then you also have Minjares, who actually ends up winning a lot of these um, South County precincts, like Ruth Prairie down, down by Vail and uh, um, Weir Prairie up by Rainier. It's just, it looks like a very fractured map. Looks like somebody took their general um, general partisan map of Thurston County and threw it on the ground, and it got all cracked and broken. <laughs> and I think this fractured map might even go back to what we were, what I was talking about a few minutes before, when we we're talking about the number of write-ins in these different vote in these different elections. That this had an inordinate number of write-ins for a contested race, um, and I think that might be because there was two Democrats on the ballot, and a lot of Republicans may have just. Well, not a lot compared to the actual people who voted in this race, but an, a, an, more of them didn't see a Republican on the ballot, didn't see somebody that they could put their, they could they could fill in the bubble for, and so they just wrote in, they just wrote in who they thought was somebody more conservative, and I also think that might explain why Minharas did so well in these outlying precincts and why Thunheim did so well in these in, in, inside precincts. In that a lot of a lot of people might have just dropped out of dropped out of the uh, um, dropped out of the election in these precincts that don't make sense. It didn't have an inordinate number of uh, um, undervotes, but if you, I think if I go in dig in in these uh, um, like in Ruth Prairie, I think if I go in Ruth Prairie, I will find um, enough Republicans sort of like falling off or enough votes falling off that it might have changed the result in that one precinct. All right. Um, next one down on the ballot is uh, Thurston County Sheriff, um, uncontested. I was a bit surprised to see that Snaza only had 1,727 write-in votes against him. And the reason I'm surprised is because every time I would see a friend, you know, take a picture of who they wrote in and post it to Facebook, it was the sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's because you live in a particular part of, or you, you, you as an Olympian, maybe? You, you mean know, my anarchist friends? Yes. I was getting there. I was, well, I was verbally processing that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I was just, I, I, I figured that one would be among the higher ones, um, but it wasn't. And we're down ballot. However, then you get to treasurer and Jeff Gadman comes in third. 2,794 write-in votes. So just... <laughs> so, yeah, if you... I mean, what what do you guys have against Jeff Gadman? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, it's interesting because we see uh, Steve and Drew, first place, Linda Enlow, second place, Jeff Gadman, third place. 
I don't know a lot about any of these uh, I, uh, folks personally, but they could be perceived as establishment politicians. I don't know. Sure. So that is all of the uh, non-judicial county races and non-special election races. Uh, but real quick, going through, uh, Kayla Wilcox, Sam Meyer, Brett Buckley. Those, they're all going to be district court judges. They were uncontested. I was less interested in their write-in votes. They all were about 1,000 or so. Oh, and, well, you know, as far as the Supreme Court justice positions go, I really just want to talk about uh, position eight, which was Steve Gonzalez versus Nathan Choi. And um, Steve Gonzalez won, which is great, because as we said on the last episode, Choi was a ridiculous opponent in that race. And people in Thurston County certainly agreed with that and statewide. So that's actually kind of a relief because the state Supreme Court is, uh, well, that's important. And these races getting get frustratingly uh, little attention for what impact they have in our state. And so I think from here, we should just scroll down to the public utility district. What do we have to say about the public utility district, Emmett? Well, getting 41% isn't exactly a... Um a ringing endorsement from the people of Thurston County for... Well, let's just start with who won the race. Um, so Linda Oosterman did win this race. Um, as of tonight, she is at 58.36%. And, you know, we did say on our last episode that we weren't going to encourage people to vote for Andrew Saturn because of some of his behavior. And after that, re- after we recorded that episode, more and more people started coming... Um, coming out and doing the same thing, encouraging people not to vote for Andrew Saturn. Um, Based on their experiences, uh, based on uh, a behavior that they've observed uh, from him. Two prominent Olympia Olympia leaders, uh, Renata Rollins and Lisa Parshley, um, who are both city councilwomen, um, posted uh, to their Facebook wall uh, a very specific and very very well-cited, I don't know, call-outs on Andrew and his behavior and what he's been doing. Call-outs and also, I think, a request for accountability. I don't know if he would have... Uh, I, I don't think he would have won, even if that didn't happen. But I think it was also important to have his behavior highlighted because this kind of toxicity in politics is... Uh, it, it should be seen as unwelcome. And if it did, if we can map any sort of, uh, um, any sort of impact of what was being said, he didn't win... I mean, I think we can accept that Andrew was the more progressive candidate in this race. But in terms of the results themselves, he only won one precinct in the city of Olympia, and he won that precinct by only a single vote. And so it wasn't like it wasn't as if his message was being heard in where any progressive candidate would hope to be the hotbed of their support. Yeah. And looking into the... um well, let's talk about write-in votes for a second here. I th- I was expecting more write-in votes for this PUD race, 741 uh, as of Wednesday night. Um, and the reason I was expecting, because a lot of people struggled with uh, Oosterman's candidacy as well. Um, he, she's been in the PUD uh, for, what is it, six-year term? She's mm-hmm. been there for six years. Um and uh, she hasn't done anything bad or wrong. Um, you know, I'm sure she's working very hard and doing doing things to uh, be of service in the PUD. 
uh, but there's been no scandals or anything. However, when she was first elected um, into that office, there was um, an independent expenditure uh, um, through a political action committee that was uh, predominantly funded by PSE. Mm -hmm. And people were very put off by that because uh, it was at the same time that the public power campaign was going. And here you have the right. Mm-hmm. It was the same time, yeah. Yep. And then here you have a campaign where she is an opponent talking about public power. So that that um, that conversation is very alive, um, and a lot of people were remembering that about Oosterman's campaign before that PSC had backed her. And again, and I just want to say again that this was done without Oosterman's consent and knowledge, because that's just how political action committees and independent expenditures work. Um, it's done uh, outside of the control or knowledge of the candidate. However, it happened, and people remembered that. And I know a lot of people really struggled with like, you know, well, I don't want to vote for somebody who has been who is is a bully. uh, But do I want to vote for somebody that PSE wants me to support PSE being, you know, the corporate energy provider? Right. And I think it's worth worth looking into the undervotes for this race, too, because I think they echo what you're saying. I mean, an undervote is basically where somebody doesn't doesn't support doesn't support either of the candidates. And in this race, there were 19,690 undervotes. And if you go to a race with, if you go to a race like prosecuting attorney, where there were two good viable candidates, where both people had, I mean, people had a lot of choices, there were just over that 20,000 undervotes. So it wasn't like, not as if people were leaving this race more so than they were leaving other races. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They weren't writing in, they weren't undervoting any more than any, anything else. Yep. And in terms of finances for this race, um, Oosterman raised 4000 compared to Saturn 7000 However, <laughs> there was another uh, influx of funding from Puget Sound Energy to support her campaign uh, to the tune of $10,000 in a mailer that was sent out in support of her. Um, so that did happen again. Yep. Um, I think to Oosterman's credit, though, um, uh, uh, just to put it out there, I've seen some of the things that she said about public broadband and uh, public power, um, and I she she's taking a pragmatic look at it. There are some real challenges to implementing those types of things in Thurston County, um, and s- some people would like to see somebody uh, who is going to push the envelope on that more than she's willing to. But she is she has looked at it and is taking a pragmatic approach. I don't know if people really get a good sense of how small this agency is and what a limited budget they really have. And I would almost believe that if Oosterman was a county commissioner or a port commissioner or sat on the Olympia City Council, she would actually be more supportive of public internet or public power. It's like what you said. It's a very pragmatic, practical there are, a lot, there are a lot of barriers yeah. that would need to be addressed, and those barriers involve other jurisdictions that she does not have control over. And let me just say one more thing about the map, because describing things visually over podcasts is a great idea. When you look at really what was the hotbed of Saturn's campaign, it was these very, very conservative South County precincts. I always think of uh, um, uh, Thurston County in terms of uh, from college to Zanker, from from the most liberal precinct up by uh, the Evergreen State College and the most conservative precinct on the way to um, on the way to Centralia, Zanker Valley, and Zanker Valley is actually where Saturn did the best. He got 62% in Zanker Valley, got 27 votes down there, and he got a handful of other precincts down there like Gibson Valley and Michigan Hill and Longmire. I mean, these are not places that typically will support an avowed member of a socialist party and the Green Party. <laughs> Let's be fair, though. Let's be fair. These may be communities that 
increase extended power outages. Yep. Um, and so the idea of public power might be appealing. They might not have good access to internet. Mm -hmm. So those those might have been very appealing ideas to them. And those who are wanting to continue that kind of work should be listening to this kind of data um, in terms of you know where they uh, uh, where where some of the the needs are at. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was one final thing on the ballot for Olympians, and that was inner city transit, uh, which we overwhelmingly voted to support as of Thursday night, 65.34%. And that is just fantastic because uh, without this influx of funding, inner city transit would have had to cut services starting in 2019. The people behind this campaign should be really proud about what the about the job they did. This was something that practically won everywhere. There was only a handful of precincts in Thurston County or in the IT service area that voted against this. They, you can almost say they won handily. <laughs> they won handily. That's true. That is it for our 2018 election coverage. Um, it was uh, some mixed results, uh, depending on how you uh, look at the candidates and the issues, um, and one local race that is not yet conceded. So um, we'll just have to see. I'm sure by the time this podcast comes out on Monday, <laughs> that one will be decided. But here we are recording the Thursday before. I just really want to give us a pat on the back. I want to give especially Danny a pat on the back. I think we did a really good job on this podcast exploring these races it was pretty exhilarating for me <laughs> and um in terms of uh the maps Emmett has been describing, I am fairly certain he's going to be posting some stuff to his blog. We'll provide a link for that um, mm -hmm. on the website with this episode. And uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and close out. If you have any thoughts, comments, um, topics of interest that you'd like to share with us, you can reach us at theolympiastandard at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at The Olympia Standard, and we're also on Twitter at The Oli Standard. Uh, we also uh, participate and lurk on the Olympia subreddit. You just have to guess what our usernames are. <laughs> We're produced by Olympia Pop Rocks. You can support Olympia Pop Rocks by going to patreon.com slash Olympia Pop Rocks or going to their website and buying some sweet, sweet, sweet Olympia Pop Rocks swag. The theme music was produced by Guire McGuire. <laughs> Happy birthday, Guire McGuire. You were born just after election day. <laughs>